Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Welcome. It's so good to see you here as we just talk about discovering the God of the universe. Sickness, death, drought, fame, riot, financial struggles, cancer, broken marriages and rebellious children, internal and external strife. It seems that there is no lack of pain and suffering and problems in this world. No matter where we turn, we are flooded with emotions and images and painful reminders uh, that this world is broken. Yes, there's some hope. There's some light that breaks through the cracks from time to time. Many times it's just enough to keep us going. But how did we get here? Is this God's plan? Is this truly, excuse me, his best force? How, how do we recover what was once lost? How do we end all this suffering and pain? Many even complain that God is, is absent or even non-existent. The question comes down through the ages. How can a loving God create such a broken world? Where is he? Why is he silent? Fortunately, God has not been silent He has not abandoned us. Rather, he has been actively in control, restoring all of creation back to perfection. That has been the theme of our Vacation Bible School this year, Discovering God. It was a five-day introduction into biblical theology, which is simply understanding the story of the Bible. The Bible was written over a period of two over a period of roughly 2,000 years by 40 different authors from three continents who wrote in three different languages. It consists of many different stories about a diverse group of people and places and themes, some of them very familiar to us, while many may not be. At times, it can be difficult to read and understand with names that are hard to pronounce, amen? While other times, it has our most favorite and popular characters performing wonderful acts of heroism. Yet the Bible is actually one story. 66 books, but one story. And that's God's story, the story of God. It has four themes that are interwoven throughout its pages. The themes are creation, the fall, redemption, and the consummation or recreation. And you know what? I'm not going to be able to move that, am I? Is that bothering you as much as it's bothering me? I'm afraid that it might be shining off my bald plate there and keeping uh, from you from seeing. Could we also just want to go just shut those back doors back there? That'd be great. That has nothing to do with the message. <laughs> Yet the Bible is one story. 
And only in understanding these three, three, these themes, creation, fall, redemption, and recreation or consummation, is that the way that you and I can make sense of today's plan, of God's plan, that is revealed in Scripture. So with that in mind, let's join the children, as we learned this week, of, and this is going to fall, of discovering the God of the universe. With that, I'd like for you to join with me in reading the passage silently as I read out loud of what we did in our call to worship. It's found in Psalms where the psalmist writes, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Father, give us wisdom and discernment this morning as we read. And Father, as we hear your word, I pray that your spirit would have free reign. And Lord, that there be no distractions and let me speak words that are edifying, that are encouraging. And Father, may we all hear with different ears this morning. We praise the name of Christ. Amen. How is it? That the ultimate power of the universe, the almighty, all-powerful, holy God, would want a relationship with me. Man, many times my dog doesn't even want a relationship with me. But yet God does. Not only that is God has been searching and wooing and working in my heart before time ever began. What a thought. First night, we learn that a relationship begins. The Bible tells us in Genesis 1-1 that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Scripture then goes on to detail the six days of creation with God separating the light from the darkness on day one to separating the waters and the land on day two. From there, God began to dress the land with grass and plants and trees and all sorts of vegetation and that God saw it and said that it was what? good. He then spoke into existence the sun, the moon, the stars, the planets, the universe that began noticeable to both our naked eye and to the numerous galaxies beyond. He then populated the waters with all sorts of living creatures from the tiniest fish to the great whale. In the sky, he created birds of all sorts of colors, sizes, and sounds. God saw that it was good. On day six, God began to speak in existence all the land animals from the smallest detestable insect, insect that you could think of to the largest dinosaur, and God saw that it was good. In creation, we see that this almighty creator is intelligent, imaginative, and complex. Yet, God was still not finish. He had one last task to create. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis chapter 1. It's also on the monitors for you. In Genesis chapter 1, if we're in verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the sea of the fish and over the birds of the air and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. 
and have dominion over the fish and the sea, over the birds of the heaven and over the every living thing that moves in the earth. In verse 29, And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed and the fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything he made, and behold, it was very good. We see several things in this portion of scripture. The creation of man is unique in two special ways from the rest of creation. First, God made us with hands-on care. The animals, the plants, etc., the universe, the beauty of the galaxies were all spoken into existence. But for man, we were created and molded by the dust of the earth. Hand-fashioned, if you will. Not only that, as, as all create creatures, those that breathe, were still spoken in existence, the Bible tells us that God breathed into man his own breath. This means that both in our mortal bodies and in our mortal spirits, we have been enabled to know God and to called to bear his image in this created world. God has given us a spiritual nature so that we may bear his image as worshipers and servants of the Most High. We were given a mandate to be God's representative on earth and to fulfill his plan for this creation. The main point that the children learn and the main point that you and I should learn from this passage of an almighty creator is that the God who created the universe wanted a special relationship with man. Out of all the creation, only humans will have the ability to look up into the heavens and worship the Almighty, the creator of the universe. In Genesis chapter 3, we find that God walked and talked with our first parents, Adam and Eve, that this was a special relationship that only we as image bearers can experience. But who is God that he would think of us? But we were especially created and they lived in the perfect place, the Garden of Eden, where every need, that, and every need that they had was provided by God's loving hand. All that they were never needed. There was no worries, anxiety, death, sickness, pain, or suffering. It was paradise. But as you and I know, paradise was lost, which led us to night two. And we see that this special relationship was broken. In Genesis 3, if you're turned there, you could just follow along a little bit. The story continues with the introduction of a new character, Satan. He was an angel, another created being of God, who rebelled against the holiness of God and was cast out of heaven. Isaiah, the prophet, the Old Testament prophet, gives us insight into the celestial intrigue when he writes in Isaiah 14. How are you fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn? How are you cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low? You have said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. Above the stars of God, I will set my throne on high. I will set on the mount of the assembly in far reaches of the north. 
I will ascend above the heights of the clouds and I will make myself like the most high. Satan, like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, embodies the appearance of a serpent and slithers into the garden seeking to destroy the special relationship Adam and Eve had with God. Not content with destroying his own position in heaven, he desires now to tear down Adam's place in God's kingdom. He begins by conversing with Eve. Whether Adam was present at the moment, we're not sure, but he seems to might have been there. Satan begins the conversation by questioning Eve about God's commands, God's warning, and God's purpose. Satan's M.O., his method of operation, is the same then as it is today. You see, he, calls to, he seeks to cause doubt in the minds of hearts of men and women. If you look at the monitors there, you see that he wants us to doubt God's word. He wants us to believe that God is a liar, so he caused doubt in Eve's mind. He wants us to doubt God's love. He wants us to believe that God is unloving. Thirdly, he wants us to doubt God's goodness. He wants us to believe that God doesn't care. In each and every one of those conversations between Satan and Eve... He caused doubt to rise in her mind and heart about the veracity or the truth of God, his loving nature, and his goodness and kindness towards them. Sadly, both Adam and Eve fell for the serpent's deceptions. They believed his lies. Jesus himself said that Satan was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies and he proved it that day in the garden. Adam and Eve fell hook, line, and sinker. Thinking themselves wise, they showed themselves to be fools and they rejected God and rebelled against him. Scripture informs us that because of Adam, one trespass led to condemnation for all men. And by that one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Adam's sin, his disobedience to God's word, brought down the curse of sin that leads to death. Why is there death in the world today? Because of Adam and Eve's rebellion. And throughout Scripture, we see the results of man's Rebellion against the holy God. For scripture tells us that in those days there was no king in Israel, but everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Scripture tells us that the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. You would think he would be describing society today. Paul echoes the words of Isaiah to the church of Rome when he echoes, when he says or writes, excuse me, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become, this is God's description of us, worthless. No one does good, not even one. He goes on to describe us as ones who have their throat as an open grave. 
We use our tongues to deceive. The venom of ass is under their lips. The mouth is full of curses and bitterness. I should also say the keyboard on Twitter and Facebook. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. He ends with this great judgment. This word of condemnation. It describes our generation today as well as theirs. When he writes, there is no fear of God before their eyes. He would go on to declare that you and I, all of us, are all guilty for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and that the wages of that sin, the penalty of that sin is death. Instead of guarding and protecting the garden as God's representative, they open the door for the enemy to creep in and to convince them to abandon God and the special relationship they had with him. The main point we wanted our children to know and that we want you to know this morning is that sin has messed up everything up. And as I say those words, that those words are not harsh enough. They're not strong enough, to be honest. I'm guilty of this. This is a side note. This is free. I won't charge you for this. We have accepted the world's view of sin as either messing up a bad habit or just some troubles. But God is still in control. Though God cast Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden and proclaimed them guilty, he was not done with humanity. Amen? God, in his goodness and love, promised to redeem man and restore creation, which brought us to night three as we see the restoration was promised. The rest of the Old Testament is written to share God's plan in restoring man back into that special relationship. From Genesis 3 until Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, God begins revealing his plan to mankind. He did not want us to be unaware of his plan and purpose for us. Though this world, listen to this, though this world is difficult, unkind, unloving, and harsh, and some of you know this more deeply than others, God wanted us to have hope. God promised right after the rebellion of Adam and Eve that he would put enmity between you and the woman, speaking of Satan, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is a promise of a redeemer, a savior to restore us. Uh, to restore us. The main point was that God would send his son Jesus to be the savior of the world. To accomplish that, God chose a man to start a family. That man is named Abraham. We know the story of Abraham, at least most of us do. It would be from his family that the Savior would physically come. He then chose Abraham and Sarah's son Isaac. And then he chose Isaac's son Jacob, who had 12 sons that would become known as the founders of what you and I know as the 12 tribes of Israel. Scripture tells us that their story, or the scripture tells us their story is God's chosen people. And as God's chosen people, they were to be salt and light to the nations, to bring them the hope of the restoration. 
God gave them his special law, the Ten Commandments, as well as other laws to live by. Through them, they, they, through them would come the Savior, speaking of the twelve tribes. God reveals that the Savior would come from the tribe of Judah, and he chooses a young man named David to be their king. It would be from David that the Messiah, the Redeemer, the Savior would be born. The story of Israel is both encouraging, yet discouraging and sad. Like Adam, they failed to trust God and doubted his love and goodness as well. They get mired, as you read scripture, in a routine of rebellion, judgment, and then repentance. Routine of rebellion, judgment, and repentance. And then rebellion, judgment, and repentance. Very much like us today. Yet throughout this, we see that there's always a remnant a collection of people that are faithful to God's word in service, faith, and worship. In Isaiah, God revealed that the Lord himself would give us a sign to let us to know that he was coming, to give us a clue as we shared with the children. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, meaning God with us. The prophet says that this special child will know how to refuse the evil and choose the good. The Gospel of Matthew begins by recording this great event happening when an angel of the Lord appears to a descendant of David who found that his bride-to-be was pregnant. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. We, under, we recognize this from the, the, the Gospel Christmas story. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, Scripture says. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. That's what Jesus means. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Again, meaning God with us. Just as God was with Adam and Eve in the garden, walked among them, once again God will be with us. Which led us to the fourth night, the greatest story ever told, the relationship restored. What great news this was. God with us. Once again, just as it was in the garden, God was making his way back to to us or helping us to make a way back to him. In Jesus, God's love and justice was on perfect display. As you might recall, Peter, or Paul, excuse me, wrote that the penalty of our sin, our rebellion towards God, is death. Not just physical death, but eternal separation from God. And those that have rejected God will face judgment. We must understand that. The writer of Hebrews warns that it is appointed for man once to die, then after that comes the judgment. And that judgment is final and forever. Have your Bibles turn to Revelations chapter 20. In Revelation, the last book of the Bible, in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 through 15. Here the Apostle John records a terrifying vision that God gives to him about the end of the age, the end of the world. That judgment day. John writes, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. 
And from his presence, earth and sky fled away. His very creation now runs from God instead of running towards him. And no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And the books were open. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according again to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. The Bible says that this is the final resting place for all those that have rejected God. It is a place of constant, conscious torment. There is no end. However, God has made a way of escape. And again, the main point we wanted to share with your children, and is with you as well, is that Jesus gave his life to be our Savior. Because God's justice demands payment. What type of God would there be if he did not have justice? Someone or something must die. That is the payment, the wages of our sin, of our rebellion against God. In the Old Testament, here's what's amazing. In the Old Testament, God allowed the children of Israel to substitute an animal in their place. Now, this was only temporary. They had to perform these sacrifices daily, continually. This system was to display the riches of God's kindness and forbearance and patience of overlooking our sin for the moment. Praise God, like Adam and Eve, he did not cast us away out of his presence immediately. We, you and I, should not stand before God in our sin, but his kindness and goodness and forbearance overlooks our constant rebellion against him each and every day. But we must not make the mistake of not realizing, of not understanding that God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. So God's justice demands payment, but his love, but his love provides a substitute. And this substitute is Jesus, God's son. You see, God demanded perfection. So Jesus provided what God required, what you and I are enabled to do. Jesus lived 33 years on this earth, perfectly obeying the word of God, fulfilling God's purpose and plan in his life. All that the Father has given me to do, Jesus says, I have done. And that seems like a bold statement, but I'll take the statement from the Father who's looked twice and said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The good news, one day you and I can hear words that are similar. He resisted Satan's temptation and the world around him. Where Adam failed, Jesus, the second Adam, succeeded. Scripture tells us that the wages of sin is death, but, I love that, but the free gift of God is what? Eternal life, Amen. It's found only in Jesus Christ. Turn to Romans 5, 15, if you would. 
In Romans 5.15, Paul is writing to the church of Rome, undergoing much persecution, and he's giving them a legal treatise on God. And here God reveals the good news of Jesus through the writing of Paul in Romans. Look at 5.15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Amen? The free gift is not like the result of one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass, speaking of Adam's sin, led to condemnation. But the free gift following many sins brought justification, making us right with God. Verse 17, for if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. He is telling us that sin has reigned from Adam thereon. Every inherited trait that each and every one of us get of, of Adam comes with sin. Verse 18, therefore as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came to increase this trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through the righteousness leading to eternal life. And here's the grace he's speaking of. What Paul is describing is the great exchange. Imagine if you would, you would think today, well, I'm not that bad of a person. I'm not, I'm pretty good. But think of it, it says we're sinful. And just think, if you were just to do three sins a day, just three, do you think you could just do three sins a day? Easy, right? That's, that's before I get up in the morning. That's before I get out of bed. But take that times yearly, you got 1,000. Take the life of men, you got 70,000. You're guilty. Either way, you get it. But what happens at the cross, when Jesus was on the cross, God took my sin and he placed it on Jesus. And so when God looked at Jesus, he did not see his righteousness. No, he saw my sin, my evil thoughts, my disobedience, my impurity, my evil thoughts. All of that he sees on Jesus. He placed it on him. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was at that moment that God could not look at his son because of the evil, the condemnation that was due me was placed on him. But the greatest thing is not only that Christ bore that for us, but what he also did is God took Jesus' righteousness, his perfection, and he took it and put it on me. So when God sees me, he doesn't see my sinful state. He only sees the perfection of his son. Hence, Paul can say, there is no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. There's a great exchange. Jesus says, give me your sin, and I'll give you my goodness, my perfection. And God accepts that as Jesus is that substitute for us. 
And the good news is that God is calling his children to repent, to turn away from their sin, to, to turn away from their good works or what he would call dead works. For there is no way that we could ever work our way to heaven and to turn and trust that God has accepted the perfect works of Jesus on our behalf. God promises that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. This is our desire and prayer for your children. This is why we do VBS. This is our prayer and, and desire for you today to call upon the Lord. To hear the voice of God calling you home to reconciliation. I ask, would you repent and trust him to delay? Or today, do not delay. Now Satan, as I said earlier, still works in the same manner. He will try to cause you to doubt. He wants you to doubt God's word. He wants you to believe that you do not need a savior. He wants you to believe that you are good enough. He wants you to doubt God's love. He wants you to believe that God's justice and love is cruel, that it's cosmic uh, child abuse. And he wants you to doubt God's goodness. He wants us to believe that God is heartless. And uncaring. He works hard to convince you that Jesus is just a man. Or maybe that he's just a good man. He will, get, he, will, will get, he will want to try to get you to doubt your need of a savior. He will tell you that you need no savior. That all you need is a good therapist or a motivational speaker or a life coach. Or he will straight out try to get you to believe that you're a good person and that you're not that bad. But I tell you today, boldly and frankly, that Satan is a liar. And that without Christ, you are lost and without hope. As well as our children, and our loved ones, and our friends, and our neighbors. The fifth night we wanted to share with the young people, as we want to share with you, is that relationship continues. The good news doesn't end there. For God does not just forgive us of our sins, for that would be great, but that would not totally restore us back to him. He also now communes with us through the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. The main point of this evening is that even though I have messed up, even though I have sinned, God still loves me and will never leave me. We must realize that Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to be with us and to continue that relationship that God has planned from the beginning. God reveals in his word that one day we will be reunited with him. He is preparing a place for his children. We will spend eternity with him. Look up on the monitor in our regular Sunday service in 1 Peter. We have learned in this verse that according to his great mercy, that God has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for us, who by God's power we are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last days. No longer can Satan creep in and snatch us from God. No longer is Adam and Eve uh, at, at, at sleep at the wheel, but it's Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and God the Father working together to guard and to keep and to protect us. That is our blessed hope. It's not our wishful thinking, but it's our confident expectation that Christ will return and reunite us with the Father. John the Apostle encourages his reader when he writes, we are God's children now 
And what we will be has not yet appeared, but, I love it, what we know is that when he appears, we shall be like him, speaking of Christ, because we shall see him as he is, and everyone who hopes in Christ purifies himself as he is pure. We are still called with the mandate to be fruitful and to multiply, not only as physical descendants, but spiritually. Again, the mandate still stands today that was given to Adam and Eve is to have that relationship with God and to bring others into that relationship. God here, uh, until that day, until that day when Christ returns, he has not left us by ourselves to fight the enemy Satan. He has not left us defenseless in a world that is hostile to our faith. He has not abandoned us to face suffering alone. Jesus has told us that when he left, he would send a helper, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity to us. Paul writes that God who has established us within Christ has anointed us. He has also put his seal on us and has given us his spirit as our guarantee or in our hearts as a guarantee. For he writes, we are always of good courage. For we know that we are at home in the body. We are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. And I pray, Christian today, that you are. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Jesus, the second Adam, has done what the first Adam could not do. But yet he's called us to continue to live as that second Adam did, seeking to please God. As God, through the Holy Spirit, conforms us to the image of his Son. The Holy Spirit is our helper. He is with us whatever we do. He's guiding and is helping us through it. He helps us to become more holy. He helps us to learn more about God. For example, when we read the Bible, the Holy Spirit is the one who helps us to understand it better. When we have a chance to sin, the Holy Spirit helps us to resist and fight it. The Holy Spirit will help you see all the sin in your life and then help us to fight and resist. See, God has called each and every one of us to be faithful, to endure, and to obedience. Let me end with these encouraging words from the end of God's revealed world. Word found in the book of Revelation. It's here in the monitor. God, as his final act in restoring, uh, restoring creation, promises this. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down on a heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Relationship fully restored. Creation fully restored. Paradise fully restored. I would ask for every head bowed and every head closed. I'd like to end with just three questions. There are three challenges. If you're here this morning, if you have not yet decided to follow Christ, would you please repent from your sin, your dead works? Recognize that there's no way to be good enough 
to make it to heaven to be reconciled to God and turn and trust that God accepts the work of Jesus on your behalf, you too can have your sin forgiven and reconciled to the Almighty God. If you're here this morning, you're not sure about what I've said today, you're not convinced, then I would ask you, please, I would plead with you, would you please call, pray, that God will open your heart and mind to the truth of the gospel. Trust that God is true, that God is loving, and that God is good. And then I want to challenge, if you're a believer today, if you've made the decision to follow him, then do so with abandon. Pursue God with all of your mind, with all of your heart, and with your strength. And share this good news with others. If you're here this morning, you would like to know more how you can be reconciled with God, how you can be sure if you will spend eternity with him, how you can escape the judgment and have Jesus as your substitute, would you please see me or Dustin, Randy? One of us will be here at the front at the end of the service or you can pull us aside during lunch. We'd love to share with you or maybe you can email us or give us a call. We'd love to share with you how you can know that you have eternal life, fully reconciled with a heaven waiting for you. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your kindness. And Father, I pray that you would just open up our hearts to your truth. If there's any that know here, that do not know you this morning, will you, will you introduce yourself to them by opening their heart to see their need for you? If there's any here that are struggling still with the concept Father, and open their hearts to you. For those of us that have chosen to follow you, give us your strength to endure and to continue to love and seek to please you above all things. We praise the name of Christ. And God's people said, Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.